Haggai was one of the post-exilic prophets. Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Okay, And if you remember, a prophet was sent by God to tell people what? What was the first thing? They identified their sin. The second thing was what? Warn them about the consequences. And the third thing was told them what godly repentance looks like. That was the job of a prophet. And they did it. Some guys listened. Some guys didn't. A lot like today. You can sit there and try to help guys all day long. Some guys listen. Some guys don't. And I go back to that phrase that my counselor used to say, how's that working out for you? (laughs) If you keep doing the same thing and expect a different result, what is that called? Yeah, (laughs) it's insanity, right? Stupidity, yeah. And here's what I found. I'll just be really candid with you guys. A lot of times I talk to guys... And they want what you have if you're being obedient and following. They want the peace you enjoy, but they don't want to live the life you live. They want to live the life they want to live apart from God's plan, and they want God to bless their plan in spite of their rebellion. And and Haggai comes into the people of Israel... And by the way, for the guys who weren't here this morning, there were supposed to be a lot more people there that came back when Cyrus decreed that they could go back. But some of them got comfortable. They were comfortable in Babylon or Persia. And we saw this morning that that's how we got the book of Esther. And what happened in Esther? Was Esther a good thing for the Jews or a bad thing for the Jews? Listen, if you, if you found out tomorrow that some, let's say Russia put out a contract on every American wherever they were to kill them on a certain day, is that a good thing for you or a bad thing? Bad. It's a bad thing. They wanted genocide. Those people should have been back with the 50,000 that uh, were led by Zerubbabel, but they didn't. And, and I never even really thought about that until I was working through Haggai. And that's the thing about the Bible. You start working through one section and you realize, wait a minute, this ties in over here. There's connection. There's a bigger picture going on always in our life. See, a lot of times even when we pray about our own needs and our own desires and our own plans, we are just thinking from a very egocentric point of view instead of thinking of a God point of view. God, what do you want me to do today? God, what what would you have me do right now? Because I don't know which way to turn. I've messed up my life so bad with some bad choices, or I'm confused because I've been trying to go this way, and what did we learn this morning? Man, you plan a lot, but you reap a little. Right? You you, you go out there and and you you put money in your purse, and it keeps falling through because it's got holes all in it. And what did God say? Who did it? Who did it? I did it, He says. He did it to get our attention. And that's what we looked at. Well, for the guys that weren't here, 
uh, really Haggai is four sermons. The first is on priorities. We looked at that this morning. Haggai chapter 1, the whole chapter is about reestablishing priorities because they were discouraged. What happened is Cyrus told them, you can go rebuild. And they, they started the rebuild process. Then there were some people there, some Palestinian guys, some Amorites, some uh, you know Jebusites. Those kind of people had moved in while they were in captivity and they didn't want them to be there. They had established, they were squatting. They, they squatted their land and they had kind of everything going and all of a sudden 50,000 Jews shows up and they say, hey, we want our land back. We're going to rebuild it. And it didn't work out too well. So they wrote a king named Darius and Darius said, whoa, we need to stop this. And then they got discouraged. And when they got discouraged, they not only stopped building, they stopped thinking about what God wanted. You ever have that happen in your life? Where you get discouraged about something and you're not just discouraged about whatever it was you were trying to do for God, your labor for Him, and you just kind of got, well, you know what? I'm just going to focus on me. You hear that a lot today, don't you? I'm just going to focus on me. You do you, I'm going to do me. I hear that a lot. And what guys are saying is, I don't really care what God wants. I'm going to do my own way. Well, let's see how that works out. I have never known anybody who claims to be a believer or a follower of Jesus who lives in disobedience to Him that's happy. Never. Not one person who claims to profess the name of Jesus as their King or as their Savior, and they live in disobedience to His commands, to His statutes, and they don't care about Him. They're not happy. And it usually doesn't work out. God gets their attention, and that's what that whole first chapter was about. Well, the beginning of chapter 2, we looked about perspective because they repented of that. God said, I'm with you. This is great. We're going back. We're going to start building. I'm going to put my glory there. It's going to be better than it was the first time. But the old guys who had seen the first temple said, man, this ain't as good as the first one. This is awful. They were weeping. The young guys are praising God. The old guys are weeping. And it says in Ezra 3 that you couldn't tell the weeping from the uh, singing. And it just was confusing. And we saw... God says, listen, I'm with you. My presence is still with you. You just work. Remember that? Work. You do the work. Guys, let me ask you a question. What work are you doing for the Most High God? When you get up in the morning, do you think about what He even wants? Yes. Do you think about what He wants to do through you in the life of somebody? Do you say, hey God, I'm yours today. This is what I got on my calendar, but I want to do what you want to do. That should be our attitude. And we talked about that. Who are we laboring for? Oh, I love Him, but I don't have time to do what He wants me to do. I, 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 you know what? If I, if I join SWAT, or if I start going to a Bible study... I may end up having to, somebody will ask me to go on a mission trip and then I'm going to be in an awkward position. I don't want to do that. 
Or they may start talking to me about a secret sin in my life that I don't want anybody to know. So I'm just going to do me and you do you. So that's what people do. But this third and final message, it's really two messages. It's, it's, it's really message three and four because Haggai is made up of really four messages from Haggai. But we're going to combine them both in this last session. Unless y'all want to come back tomorrow. <laughs> no, we're going to combine them both. And we're going to start in verse 10 and work through 23. And we're going to look at the promise that God makes and, and literally His plan. The fact that His plan is unstoppable. He is sovereign. And so if you have your Bibles, open up to Haggai chapter 2. And we're going to look at Haggai 2, verses 10 through 23. Not a lot in, in uh, really the words, but a lot of content in the little words that are there. You know, and somebody asked me a question as I was walking out. They said, hey, should I read Zechariah 2? Absolutely. I'd read Zechariah. I would read Haggai. I would read Ezra. And I would read Esther because they're all during that same time period. <clears throat> and so... And tonight, you know, we, we talked about in the first session, the word was what? You remember? It was priorities. The last session, it was what? It was perspective. And in this session, it's promise. His promise for me and His plan. So verse 10 and 11, we're going to look at right now. Verse 10 says, chapter 2, on the 24th day of the ninth month. The 24th day of the ninth month. So how long is this into this process? Remember, when we first started chapter 1, verse 1, it said the first day of the sixth month. So now we're on the 24th day of the ninth month. <clears throat> so this is two months after the second message. So we have one month of preaching, we got one month of building, and one month of completing. And he gives them these two tests, verse 10 and 11. In the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. <clears throat> Thus says the Lord of hosts, the Yahweh of creation. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answers and said, no. Then Haggai said, if somebody who is unclean by contact with a dead person touches any of those, does it become clean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. <clears throat> So what we see here is a two-question test for the priest. And you know what this is like? I, I love this particular chapter. I think, David, you'll like this because I call it the bedroom talk with your child after they've screwed up really bad. And you go back in after they've experienced the consequences and they, they say they don't want to do that anymore. So you go in one more time just to remind them of where they come from, what they've experienced, and say, let's remember this as we go forward, okay? 
You guys ever have talks like that with your kids? You should. You should go in there after they've experienced the consequences and after after they have a good mindset just to hit them in that time and say, hey, Let's, let's look back and think about what happened so we don't do it again. So we're not stupid, Amos. We don't make those insanity choices of keeping doing the same thing. Because what happens to people? They forget. They get going, they get tempted, and they forget. And they need people. We need Haggai's and Zacharias in our life reminding us. So here he comes, and he gives this two-question test. Now, why, why is that important to warn them about the future? Well, see, here's the thing, guys. In the beginning, God walked with Adam in the cool of the day in the garden. He was in a good relationship, right? He was in a good relationship. Do you think Adam was worried about where he was going to eat or, or what he was going to eat or how he was going to name the animals? Do you think he, those were worries before the fall? Yes or no? They weren't worries. What was Adam's main concern? Connected with God, the Father. That was it. And God said, listen, Adam, eat from these trees, you're good. Man, we are good. You eat from this tree, you die. Follow God's Word, guys. Everything else follows. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that what? Yeah, does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or or what? Stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is what? On the law of the Lord. And on that law, he meditates day and night, and he will be what? Like a tree that is planted by the water. So if that's true, if we really believe that, why do we not spend time in his word? Joshua 1, 8, 9 says the same thing. Meditate on this day and night. Is that an option, Amos? To meditate? When he says it to Joshua, guys, is it an option? No, it's an imperative. And there's garbage that goes out there that if you tell people they need to spend time in the Word every day, that's legalism. That's garbage. And that's what a lot of young people are buying into. Why? Because there's no demands on their life. It's not legalism for you to respond to the one who's purchased you with his, the blood of His Son by being loyal to Him and wanting to do what He tells us to do in the Word that He gave us. We better get straight on God's Word. Deuteronomy 28 says, listen, you obey my word, this happens. You don't obey my word, this happens. Why do you think he told Israel that? He was warning them. You guys ever do this with your teenagers? Hey, if you do this, this is going to happen. And when it happens, do you go, oh well, it happened. That stuff happens sometimes. Is that what you guys do with your kids? Well, that's why we are in such a mess today, if you do. No, you you give consequences because you understand that if 
those things are not dealt with, they will continue to increase in severity and consequences that are painful beyond measure. And you want to help your kids. So you start at a young age by telling them, don't do that or this is going to happen. We had an if-then chart in our house. If you do this, this happens. And trust me, we stuck to it. Because the worst thing you can do to your child is tell them, hey, if you do this, it's going to happen. Then it happens and you don't do anything. It's terrible to do that. And you do it in love. And you also try to incorporate Scripture and what God did for us into your disciplining your child. I remember one of the most... uh, powerful illustrations I ever gave my child was one time I was so mad at what they did. I was so mad. I literally wanted to take them by their throat. That's how mad I was at what they did. And I told them, I'm so mad that if I disciplined you right now, I would hurt you. So you know what? I'm going to take your punishment. You're going to spank me. Because if I spank you... I'll hurt you. And I, I'm so mad, you better spank me hard. Yeah, they did. And they cried when they did it. They wept like a little baby. Did you? Uh, no, I didn't cry. They were, they were, no, but they just cried because they knew what they had done was wrong. If we do that with our kids, do you think God is not going to discipline us if we go against His Word, if we decide to go our own way, to do our own thing, to disregard Him? You think we're any different today than Israel? We live like that. We live like we can just do what we want to do and ignore what God tells us. And it's going to be okay. But we're His. We're His people. Because I prayed a prayer when I was eight years old. And so I'm His. I don't live for Him. I don't do what He tells me to do. And guys, listen, again, I'm not talking about perfection. What I'm talking about is an honest connection with the Most High God. An authentic connection that says, He is my dad. I'm His child. And He bought me with Jesus. And I'm His forever. And I'm excited about that. I'm not ashamed to tell people that He's my dad. I'm not ashamed to to live a different way. And the church has adopted this mindset in a lot of places that we got to look like the world to win people. That is garbage. Jesus and God never wanted you to look like the world. He wants you to be different. He wants you to be distinct. He wants you to put Him on display. Let me ask you guys a question. Can you make it through life without a secular education and be okay? What? Yes? Yes. If you have a 4.0, let's say from Florida, you marry a 4.0 from Georgia Tech, can you still ruin your life if you ignore God's Word? Look at Bernie Madoff. Bernie Madoff handled over $300 billion. Almost $400 billion. He handled that much money. 
The kind of money that would make our heads spin. Four homes. Upstate New York, Manhattan, West Palm, France. He had it all. Do you think people didn't look at him and go, wow, I'd like to be like him? Not anymore, but they did at one time. You know when they cremated Bernie Madoff? Nobody even wanted his ashes. Can you ruin your life without spiritual and moral direction from the Most High God? Yep. Yep. He wants to make sure his people learn this lesson, guys. That's what he's doing here with this two-question test. He's not just asking them a random question. It's that bedroom talk. You know, the first two chapters deal with a cause. Really, the first chapter and then the first part of the second chapter, they deal with a cause. What was the first cause? They misplaced their priorities. Second chapter, first part, what did they do? They got discouraged because people were being hard on them. They were, had detractors speaking, and so they, they, were, they were discouraged. And they, he says, fear not. The rest of chapter 2, there's no cause or anything he's dealing with here. He just says, I want you to learn something, guys. I want you to learn this. Verse 12, and he tells them this test. I, I read it for you in 13. Then Haggai said, if someone who's unclean, verse 13, by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does. What is he saying? Verse 14, he says, then Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people. What people? These people. He says, and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. If your heart is alien to God, and by alien, I don't just mean you don't have to hate God to be alien with God. You don't have to be an atheist to be alien from God. If your heart is alien to God, then every work of your hands is unclean. Do you know that? Every work. Doesn't matter if you go to church. Doesn't matter if you give money to the church. Doesn't matter if you go on a mission trip. It's all unclean if your heart is alien. When they quit building, guys, back in chapter 1, Everything else they offer to God. They, they didn't stop doing sacrifices, but their sacrifices were unclean. That's what he's reminding them of here. This is the lesson they need to learn. A healthy person... Listen, Jimmy, if you're healthy, can you make Brad healthy just because you're healthy? But if you're sick, can you make him sick? Yeah, That's what he's telling them. That's all he's telling them. Listen... I want you to be healthy people out in the world. You're healthy when you're in connection to me. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but you're spiritually healthy. Listen, if you blow it and you're in a good relationship with God, what happens, Jose? If you're healthy and you blow it, you, you get in a moment, you have a mistake. What does God bring into your life to tell you that you blew it? Yes! He brings somebody that comes and speaks to your life. And if you're healthy, when you hear that, you go, wow, I didn't even know that. Or maybe you go, wow, you know what? 
I've had guys tell me, and Brad, you probably have too, you know, I knew you knew. I mean, I knew you knew why I hadn't been coming and, and stuff. Or I knew you knew what was going on and I just was afraid. And I'm like, what are you afraid of? To tell somebody who's a murderer, who's an adulterer, who's a liar and a thief that you're one too? Is that what you're afraid of? Because brother, we're all in the same boat. We're all in need of Jesus. And that's the whole point, that we are in right relationship with God. We put Him on display. And when our brothers out there need somebody to speak in their life, that's what we do. That's what we do. And that's what He's trying to say. Listen, you can be the best at whatever in the world. Receive all the best instruction in whatever thing you do. But you're going to screw it up if your compass is off. You've seen talented and gifted people who do that all around us. I mean, the, the laundry list is out there. They never figured out what's important, whether it's uh, Madoff or whether it's Richard Nixon, whether it's Bill Clinton, Michael Jackson, Lance Armstrong, just Johnny Manziel, just pick a name, Tiger Woods. They all had it all, but their compass was off because God wasn't at the center in any of those guys. None of them. Do they teach classes on moral purity at FSU by chance? If they did, do you think people would go? Do you think they would go, Jimmy? The girls? Listen, here's Peter in 1 Peter 3 quoting David. 1 Peter 3 verse 10. Whoever desires to love life... Do you guys love life? Whoever desires to love life and see good days. You guys want to see good days? Then this applies to you. Okay? Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. That's New Testament. That ain't Old Testament. He's quoting the Old Testament, but Peter is telling people that, hey, you turn against God, He's going to turn against you. Oh, but I'm saved. I prayed a prayer when I was eight, so I'm good. I'm in there. So I can live how I want to. I don't, have to. I don't have to be part of a group. I don't have to go to church. I don't have to tell people about Jesus. I don't have to seek God with all my heart because I prayed a prayer. That's the way people think. Now they're never going to say that, but that's what they do. That's the way they live their life. And he's saying, you can't do this, people. And he tells them that. And notice what he says in verse 15. Back in Haggai. Now, then consider from this day onward. Now, that phrase in Hebrew, you know what it means? It really literally means from this day backward. 
Now it translates onward because what he's what the what the interpreters are helping you understand in English and in our context is learning from the past as we move forward. But in the Hebrew, it literally says from this, consider from this day backward. In other words, look at where you came from. Do we do that? Is that important for us to do that? Let's turn around, consider where we've come back. Consider the disaster that God brought us out of in our life. Hey, how many guys are in here tonight because maybe 10, 15, 20 or more years ago, you made some poor moral choices and you learned you don't want to be there again. Just raise your hand right now. That's me. Let's think about life. When we took God, we put Him on the back burner. Before you repented, what was your life like? Was it good, Mike? Was it good, Mike? Was it good, Jeff? It wasn't good. It was miserable. And He's reminding them of that. In verse 16, He goes back to remind them of what it was like for them as He's teaching them this lesson. And he says, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. He says, when one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. Listen, he said there was no grain, no wine. What does it take to have grain and wine? Well, you got to have wheat and grapes. What does it take to have wheat and grapes? You got to have rain. In Israel, guys, they were completely dependent on God for water. It wasn't like Egypt where they had the Nile and all these tributaries that come in there and supply. In Israel, they were totally dependent on God for water. God wanted His people to be dependent on them. Obedience of the people influenced whether they got rain or not. If you don't believe me, go read in the Bible how many times God said, okay, I'm going to bring a drought on you. Because they're not being obedient. And then in verse 17, He said, I struck you and all the products of your toil. In other words, all the works of your hand. I was against you. I disciplined you. Yet you did not turn to me. He's reminding them in this little bedroom talk Hey, things were messed up and you still wouldn't turn. He said, my children are not going to live their life in disregard of me. He loves us too much for that. He's not going to let us do that. Why has your life been so painful for the past 15 years? He's asking them. I remember one time I was on death row ministering to some guys. A guy named Osvaldo, a guy named Blackshear, and another guy. All three of them were raised going to church. All three of them knew the gospel. And and I was sitting there looking at these guys who were on death row. One year till he's executed, two years till he's executed, and about four years. But they're just sitting on death row every day knowing what their life was like. And you know what God's saying? How's that working out for you? You think you're going to disregard me? You can't. I love you too much. 
And this is what he's saying to Israel. Look at what happened. Verse 18, consider from this day onward. He says the same phrase. He bookends it. Let's look backward. Let's learn from our past. Verse 19, he says, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree have yielded nothing, but from this day on I will bless you. You know what he's saying? He's saying, have you guys seen any fruit of your repentance yet? And the answer is no. None of the trees have blossomed. We haven't got any fruit. But he says, you know what? Your heart is now right and I'm going to bless you now. You can trust that. That's a promise from me. That's what he's telling them. <clears throat> And you can tell people that all day long. But you know, it's funny, Brad, and I've used this illustration. I used it. I shared it at the end of, I think, the the teaching time in SWAT for the semester. Um, This is really what ministry is like to people who, who really want your life, but they don't want to do what you do in your life. They want to do what they do, but they want to be... They want the consequences of what you get instead of what they get. And that's real ministry. It's like a guy being in Stark. Hey, Doug, can you help me? Well, what's going on? Well, I'm in Stark. Okay. Well, I don't want to be in Stark. Well, where do you want to be? I'm in ja- I want to be in Jacksonville. Well, how did you get to Stark? Well, I took 301. Well, 301 doesn't go to Jacksonville. 301 goes to Stark. You got to take I 10 to go to Jacksonville, but I don't like I 10. Well, if you want to go to Jacksonville, you got to take I 10. Well, I don't want to. Well, you're going to be in Stark. Well, I don't like Stark. I want to be in Jacksonville. And it's this round discussion where basically all these guys are saying, listen, I don't want, I want to go the way I want to go, but I want to be somewhere else. We've all heard it. When you take a certain road, guys, you have to accept where that road takes you. If that's going to be the choice you make, if you want to go down this path, you need to understand, and I tell all the guys that I talk to who are considering really bad choices, that listen, you need to understand, you make this choice, it's going to have consequences far outliving you. And you need to understand that. Most guys want to be told how they can go the way they want to go and get where they want to be and not be where they are. That's the truth. We're we're conditioned that way in this country, right? Think about all the movies that come out. All the movies reject authority today. They don't like authority. All of them... You know, we don't like being told what we ought to do, what we shouldn't do. Our heroes are immoral. Look at the heroes today. Just look at all the movies and think, look at the people and some of the stuff they do. So why is there so much violence and crime in our country? They're not thinking about God. And the day you eat of it, you will surely die. We have to go back to the infinite personal God, Yahweh. Do you know this? That nobody in our country is protesting Satan anywhere? 
Have you guys noticed that? I don't know if you noticed, but they're protesting a lot of things, but nobody's protesting Satan. Nobody's really protesting sin either, are they, Don? Why? Because everybody wants to go to Jacksonville, but they want to stay on 301. That's what they, I mean, I'm telling you guys, that's the truth. That is the biggest problem with guys today is we, we want what we want, but we don't want to be where we are. <laughs> Bottom line. We want what we want, but we don't want to be where we are. So verse 20. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai. This is the fourth message here. On the 24th day of the month. So on that same day, he's been talking to him. Verse 21. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. If you weren't here this morning, he was the king, but they didn't call him king. He was the leader. Saying, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth. We talked about that this morning. And to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. Everything, guys, in this universe is going to disintegrate. God is going to destroy the kingdoms of the nations and their militaries. That's what he's saying. And then verse 23, On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord. Do you know what a signet ring did? When somebody had a signet ring, they put a ring stamp and it was the authority of the person in charge. In uh, Esther, the book of Esther, Mordecai got that ring. Even though he was in Persia, even though Haman wanted to kill him because he was still a faithful follower of God, even though he didn't leave, he ended up being a guy who knew what the right thing to do was. And God put him up there and said, I'm going to give you some authority over here. Because God's going to do what He's going to do. But this, God chose the house of Judah. And you've got to remember, that's Zerubbabel is from the, the tribe of Judah. He's the Davidic line. He's going to give rise to the final king of the earth. And this is the last thing God wants to say through Haggai. Don't you find that interesting? The last thing that he says isn't about how they've blown it. It's not how uh, he's, he, you know, he had to chastise them. The last thing he tells them is, look forward. Look forward to Messiah. Look to Jesus. And so that's why the message of Haggai goes from distraction to discouragement. And from discouragement, it goes to this idea that God's plan is going to prevail. It's destiny for us guys. That if you're His, you're on the winning team. We win. We win because of Jesus. And He says, you work, you rebuild my temple. Now, what did we say the temple was this morning for us today? It's right here. 
We are the temple. How are you doing at rebuilding the temple? How are you? Are you distracted? Are you discouraged? Are you at a point where you've repented, but you haven't been experiencing the fruit really yet? You haven't seen God really bring it in, and so you're, you're like, does, does God really love me? Is He really there? God says, you work on my temple, you rebuild my temple, and though people come against you, though they mock you, though they persecute you, don't fear because we're going to win this thing. We're going to win it. I remember I had a coach named Bobby Whittington. I love that coach. He used to tell me, Doug, be pleased but never satisfied. And he would give us the best pregame talks. We were 12 and 0 with that coach. We were state champs, ranked sixth in the country, and we didn't have one guy sign a major college scholarship. Because we played as a team and we believed. We believed. We looked forward. And that's what he closes Haggai with. He wants them to look. That's why this message is so important. In Revelation 22, verse 5, what does it say? We will reign with Him what? Forever and ever. So if that's true, if we're going to reign with Jesus forever and ever, why would we not want to work on our temple now? Why would we not want to put Him on display to other people out there? Peter said, Lord, we've left everything. What do we get? I always crack up at that. I mean, because that's really what he said. I had a guy one time, and I've shared this a lot at SWAT. Uh, He was a guy in another state. He came to a a thing we did, uh, an evangelistic outreach. Prayed, called, said he was real fired up. Called me, called me, called me, called me. Wanted to know how he could grow, how he could keep growing. And, and, and we were, I was sharing with him. And then I remember he called me one time and he was mad. I mean, cussing mad, cussing me out on the phone. I've done every blankety blank for God. I've done all this stuff. I've gone to church, given my money, gone on mission trips gone through discipleship courses, and none of my business deals worked out. I said, he never promised you a business deal. Yeah, but these people told me that if I do this, and God's going to do this. I said, God doesn't owe you anything. He's your king. You do what he tells you. You go where he tells you to go, when he tells you to go. And you trust Him. If your business deals ain't working out, maybe they're not from Him. And I know that's hard, isn't it, Amos? I know you do a lot of business deals too. And I mean, sometimes you think just because I'm doing all these things right for God, He ought to do something right for me. And so to look at what we've looked at today, we can tend to think that God owes me. He doesn't owe us anything. But He tells us we can be assured that if we go away from Him, He's going to turn His face from us. So, Peter, let me, let me read what he told Peter and then we're going to close with, with communion here. In Matthew 19, listen to what he said to Peter when Peter says, Lord, we've left everything. What do we get? 
What do we get out of this deal? He says, verse 27, Peter said in reply, See, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. We win. And so this message of Haggai should give us confidence, one, in trusting God's Word. We can trust His Word, guys. But we need to spend time in it. Two, it should move us to align ourselves with who we know is going to win. We do it in every other realm of life. Nobody wants to be on a winner. Look at the Jaguars. If if they're not winning, nobody goes down there to watch them play. Except Tom. He's a loyal fan. But you know what I'm saying is true, right? We pick sides and we're on the winning side if we're His. And He reminds us that we serve a loving and faithful God. He is a merciful God. And so what I told that guy in Texas and what I'm telling you today is He gave you the greatest thing He could ever give you. When He sent Jesus to die on that cross in your place and in your stead, that is the good news, the euangelion, the, the message that He is the one who redeems you into the right relationship with God so you can walk in good works, Ephesians 2.10, that we were created for. That good work might be, Mike, at work, praying for a coworker. That good work might be uh, when you're going to the YMCA, noticing that there's a, a person over there that nobody talks to that seems distant, that seems upset. And you go, is everything okay? It, it just means being His ambassador out in the world. Haggai was an ambassador. He went to Zerubbabel. He went to Joshua. And he went to the remnant. 50,000 people and told them, hey, you're going in a wrong direction. You need to turn. And they did. And, and they, they got back in line. And God blessed them. And so tonight, as we kind of close our time, I have one more little booklet I want to give you before we dismiss. It's called Tyranny of the Urgent. This is a man's book. Because look how small it is, right? You can read this thing like in no time. But it is it packs a punch. It's really good. And I got them for you guys because I wanted you to have... I've read this book so many times in my life. And I want you to have it because I think it's very, very helpful. And so, Brad, um, I'm going to have you come up and... Guys, I just thank you for coming back out tonight. Huh? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you one. Um, so anyway, Brad, I'm going to let you.